Welcome to the Rebel Justice Podcast. In this week's podcast, we bring you personal perspective from a person who experienced prison and found healing in plants and wildflowers while she was at the HMP Bronzefield. Nicole Rose is the famous founder of Solidarity Apothecary, which focuses on plant medicines to strengthen collective autonomy, self-defense, and resilience to climate change, capitalism, and state violence. Nicole spoke with Farah about her wide knowledge and experience of the prison system and the importance of using the plants as a method of supporting against oppression. Rebel Justice Podcast is produced by The View magazine, which is the only platform by and for women in the justice system, where, by amplifying their stories, we shine a light on injustice, gender inequality, and abusive systems. Disclosure. This podcast contains content related to violence against women, which some users may find traumatizing. Please listen with care and look after yourself if it feels overwhelming or triggering. Hi, Nicole. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you about Solidarity Apothecary. I'm really intrigued to know so much more about it. I don't actually know where to start. So I'll just fill you in on who I am. I'm Farah. I'm one of the people who started The View magazine three years ago. And we've watched it grow from a prison publication to a much more mainstream publication with Claire and Holly's um, involvement in publishing and law and advertising and marketing. And it's doing better than I had ever dreamed that it would. Because as you know, um, prisoners and I think especially women prisoners are sort of a really forgotten entity um there's so few people so few women in particular who dare to speak up because when we do we just get really horribly punished so it's a welcome surprise that there's people like you doing all the incredible and wonderful activism that you're doing so I'd love to know a bit more about you and how you got into herbs and natural living and being an apothecary. Sure. So I um I actually had a kind of unconventional route into herbalism. I did a three and a half year sentence when I was 21 and um in HMP Bronzefield and I got allocated to work in the prison gardens, like eventually once I was um, in the prison for a couple of months and yeah it just changed my life like I got to I got to know all the different plants outside I hadn't really grown up with a massive garden or family that were into horticulture or anything so I didn't know that much but I learned a lot from other women in prison so um, an older woman in particular and some women from like traveler families and they told me like little bits and bobs about different plants and then I started a distance learning course to kind of build my knowledge. I got some funding to do that and I studied horticulture and um, yeah, it just kind of like went from there really. And plants really helped me get through my sentence. Um, I'm sure like your readers and listeners and stuff will know like how horrific the prison system is, like the violence, the racism, the sexism, like just everything that happens in there, the self-harm, the suicide attempts, like it's just... Yeah, it's just like an awful place. And I think having one interest, that means that you feel more connected to something 
alive and safe and beautiful and interesting um that's definitely what plants gave me during my sentence um and then it took me about 10 years to uh finally write the prisoner's herbal i'd started studying herbal medicine formally with a school in ireland and uh, so that's a book that you send into prisoners free of charge isn't it yeah so it's called the prisoner's herbal and it's like a 10 plant profiles of plants like very common weeds that you can find in most gardens like dandelion and nettle um as well as how to use things that you'd get on the prison canteen so things like salt and pepper medicinally for example um you know might be doing like a gargle for a sore throat with salt or having black pepper in your tea is like a way to kind of warm you up it's like a circulatory stimulant um, but yeah now the book the book's gone out to about 3,000 prisoners around the world and we've just uh, translated it into Spanish uh, which is really exciting there was a launch event in Mexico last night um, at a place actually where a group of women have had an occupation um, because their partners and family members are in prison as political prisoners and these women have kind of stayed by their side for over a year outside leaving offerings demonstrating having like posters and images of like their loved ones behind bars so it felt really special that the book got launched there that's amazing that's incredible did you go were you able to attend or did you watch it um remotely um no i wasn't i wasn't able to um <laughs> if someone wants to give me some money i would happily go to mexico um but yeah wasn't wasn't possible for me at this time um but yeah i've been sent loads of photos from the event and stuff which has been oh amazing. that's great you talk about how brutalizing the women's prison well the, the the prison system is how long ago is it since you were at bronzefield uh i was in there 2009 and 2010 so it's like a good just over a decade 10 11 years well i can tell you it hasn't changed at all it's still completely brutalizing horrible violent and really aggressive and abusive place to be i i was released from there just over a month ago after they extradited me from ireland to do nine days and then they threatened not to release me and they were going to make me do the whole recall that i'd already done so it was really horrible and intimidating and it's just such a horrible dreadful place it's so strange because just thinking about prison architecture and landscaping it's as if prisons are built to not it's sort of intimidating anti-human architecture it's you know in scope in the materials everything is so unfriendly to being human all the concrete all the you know concrete pathways and all of that stuff um and yet they have these sort of strange little gardening programs i know they have one at um East Sutton Park now as well, where they're actually growing plants and the woman is selling them and women are taking part in that. So it's interesting, that sort of weird juxtaposition of concrete and nature. It's quite jarring, actually, but mm. I think you're right that there's so much healing in plants and there's so much that we can learn and it just connects us with nature, which is the antithesis of the prison experience. It just disconnects you from nature and who you are and your your spirituality and your place in the world. So just interested to know your thoughts about reconnecting and, and how women or, or people even can just can do that using herbs and using nature. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. First time, I'm really sorry to hear about your experiences. Um, I've been meaning to contact you the last couple of weeks um, about herbal support. And I think I think it's relevant because um, like for me, like, so for example, I've still got friends like in prison who are doing a long time. So I left prison, but I've been visiting there every week pretty much since I got out. So that kind of daily impact of a prisoner phone call, someone ringing me up reminds me of what it's like and how the environment is. And I think like, in terms of a kind of like trauma perspective, I think it makes you feel like the whole world is extremely dangerous. It makes you not want to trust people. Um, you know, it makes your whole nervous system be kind of hyper vigilant, hyper aroused, and basically in this kind of sympathetic state where you're in sort of fight or flight. And it takes like a long time to get to a place where you might feel you can kind of breathe out if that makes sense and I mean I think it's also worth acknowledging that it's not like you're in prison and you're unsafe and you get out and you're safe because obviously like you know like you have a license there's a risk of getting recalled even if you're not on license you're kind of haunted by prison or there's a chance you might go back for whatever reason or even just like a fear of it um, but for me like herbalism has been about how to find safety in a world where you don't feel like you can trust humans. You don't feel like you can trust your own body. And they're one of the only things that put me in this sort of parasympathetic nervous system state. And that's this kind of like rest and digest state where, you know, things are working properly. There's blood flowing properly. Your digestive juices are flowing properly. You're able to connect with other humans. You're able to be intimate. You're able to feel kind of calm and relaxed. It reduces your blood pressure. There's so many like different functions of that nervous system state. And for me, like, it's not just taking plants that help me shift into that state. It's like the whole process of herbalism. It's being outside, being on the land, like harvesting plants, sitting with plants, making medicine, like it's so therapeutic. And like you said, it's the sort of antithesis of prison um, where you are like completely separated from nature. You're separated from other human beings, despite, you know, being on massive wings with loads of people you're also kept in a cage right like you know 20 yeah. hours a day so you are separated from things and for me like prison is so dehumanizing that I feel like herbalism is kind of yeah it's like a remedy it's like a humanizing like flow of energy that makes you feel like it's worth being alive and you know that there are you know, nature is amazing. And, and like the tattoo that I got on my arm, <clears throat> like before I went to prison, because I was on bail for quite a long time, kind of expecting to, you know, be potentially sent down, it says never alone. And it's got like roses and plants and also um, bird and a fox. And it's a reminder to me that like, we are actually on the winning side, like nature is like such a powerful force that the state or prisons or different systems of oppression just can never like successfully destroy if that makes sense and when I first walked into prison like I I remember almost laughing to myself that I thought that I would be completely separated from nature because the first things I saw when I walked in were dandelions pushing through the concrete and crows on the fences and like you know it just reminded me that yeah that you know kind of wildlife is everywhere if that makes sense yeah and it's it's reassuring they i don't know if you remember but they have these 
huge elm trees outside Bronzefield that have just grown and grown and grown. And they're, you know, when they were planted, they were absolutely tiny, tiny dwarfed by all the horrible architecture and concrete and that horrible red brick building thing they've done there. But now they're massive and they're so tall and they 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 conquer the landscape, you know, they conquer and they as you say, they they show the resilience and the and the way that nature overcomes. I'm really interested to know what you think about um, these women who are now being locked up for their climate activism. We're in touch with quite a few of them and have got some really interesting podcasts that we've done and we have some more coming up. Um, you know, these are women who are engaged in peaceful protest activism and campaigning to save our planet. And they're being locked up for really quite long times. And our intelligent, educated, middle-class women, you know, there's a government scientist, there's a GP, there's a woman who was the director of the NHS, uh, a department in the NHS, there's writers, poets, artists. I'm curious to know what you think about how these women are being criminalised and, and the state of the planet and climate justice as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, it's a bit complicated in the sense of I have mixed feelings. Like I obviously went to prison um, in a kind of like political fashion of I was campaigning to close down Europe's largest animal testing company. And uh, we got heavily criminalized and went through years of repression, people in and out of prison. But we yes, they followed you and surveyed you and all the rest of it, didn't they? But we never we never like intentionally wanted to go to prison like that wasn't a campaign goal like that was like a side effect of the kind of underground actions and the kind of um, economic sabotage that was happening but I think so I think I do feel conflicting feelings about groups like XR where people are like treated in a bit of a disposable way of that they think that getting loads of people in prison will be effective so I I think that I, that feels complicated for me, especially coming from like a very working class family. Um, and like, yeah, like seeing friends in prison that are there basically because of being poor and being traumatized and using drugs or whatever. So, but I do think like, there is also an opportunity for people that have more resources, like you said, like more education or access to wealth, like being in prisons, because I think it can open people's eyes to like, the horror and like the class warfare and the violence and they can like make links with people in prison and they can hopefully get out and be inspired to not only organize about climate change but organize about prisons as well um but you know like of course it's like admirable for people to you know sacrifice their freedom in order to highlight some of these massive struggles like climate change um and yeah you know i do i do a lot of prisoner support work and you know we have had people like on our radar who are inside for things like that and also people that have got sent down for resisting the bill in Bristol like the um like the kill the bill riot that happened in Bristol where I'm from um so yeah they would definitely have my support I just like I said I just feel like complicated things because I can't understand why anyone would like try and go to prison if that makes sense but no it's it's brutalizing it's 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 um I mean, they're admirable, as you say, but it's hard to comprehend, isn't it? But I think with their experiences, given that they're well-educated and sort of look and sound like some of the people in charge of these awful places, maybe they will have some success, 
in in trying to change things and talking about change um being an apothecary is also being an alchemist and and using everyday herbs and treatments and things to you know create change and create better lives for people so it's kind of like creating gold from dirt what do you think about the prison system as it is and how how would you change it are you an abolitionist or do you think there's room for reform in this system yeah i would i would strongly identify as an abolitionist um, I think a lot of well-meaning reforms have kind of led to the growth of the prison system. For example, people used to campaign around women being in the same prison units as men, um, like in, in the early 1900s. And then that led to the kind of like development of women's prisons. And then that's obviously, you know, women are now like one of the fastest growing like prison populations in the planet. So I, I am like kind of cautious of certain reforms I'm also aware that there are sort of um that have been called by abolitionists like non-reformist reforms so things that would actually make a difference to people's lives without kind of extending the life of the prison system um but yeah I kind of think like you know like we've both been in the same prison like I can't think of anything that prison could do to make itself less violent or I mean like obviously there's like obvious things like the male officers not trying to have sex with women or you know dragging people down to seg or you know people getting attacked and stuff but yeah I think change has to come by kind of completely restructuring society of you know why is it that people are in prison for using drugs for example like why are they being criminalized when it's like a health issue and that's kind of the majority of people in prison and um yeah so I yeah so I would say that I think I wish I I don't know I mean if I wish someone had like a 10 point plan of how to do this stuff but unfortunately I think it's like quite a long-term struggle and yeah I think for me like part of the work is just recognizing that prisons are not sort of natural or normal or necessary and that we do have the solutions to respond to to respond to harm like in different ways like that doesn't involve like locking someone in a cage and that also we do have ways of like restructuring society kind of without without a state or without a kind of um you know authoritarian state that you know just locks up like it's kind of most marginalized people like in prisons all over the country well it's working for some people isn't it it's working for all these massive great companies that are running these private contracts and and basically profiting from punishment so it's it's, it's also, you know, prison is such the great um, thing that is used to scare people into behaving or observing laws that are just getting more and more ridiculous, like all these anti-protest and anti-assembly and anti-expression laws, you know, they're, they're now carrying the punitive sentence of prison for just gathering, for just expressing how you feel about something, for... A campaign which, which and, and having prison there looming as the ultimate punishment is incredibly frightening for most people I mean I think you and I would deal with it differently we've been there we've survived it, it was horrible and disgusting but the fear is gone for us I think I think once you've been to prison it's very hard to scare us anymore 
with that because we just see how dysfunctional and broken and actually stupid and what a waste of life it is. But I think for most people, it really acts as a deterrent, but it's not working. I mean, we've got the highest reoffending rates for women in the whole of Europe and we're spending billions and billions of pounds on courts, on police, on judges, on you know so-called rehabilitation programs and all this stuff and it's just not working so there's got to be a better way a social justice way as you say rather than a a criminal justice way and dealing with the issues from the root rather than just cutting the heads off the weeds which is what they're doing at the moment but it's a really strange time at the moment where we live in this hyper criminalized society where kind of even breathing the wrong way will get people arrested. And you were talking about being recalled. I mean, half the prison population for women at the moment, almost half is women on recall. And parole board hearings are taking at least eight months to a year. Women are being released by the parole board just with, with a few days left of their sentence. So that whole system, and it's not the parole board's fault at all. It's just there's so much pressure on various pinch points in the system that it, it's creaking, it's breaking. But but mainstream world doesn't want to look at it because it's all done behind barbed wire and high fences. So how do you think we can bring out the barbarism and the brutality of what is happening to our women, you know, women like you and I, you have a certain sort of solidarity for a woman who's been a prisoner, even if you don't like her, you've got a solidarity because there's a shared experience. What do you think we can do to highlight what's being done? We're all very horribly concerned about Iran and Brazil and all these places, but it's being done in our own backyard in the leafy suburbs of Surrey and Downview and you know where Bronzefield is. So what do you think we can do to really bring out what's going on yeah, I mean, I remember reading a quote in a in a zine. I can't like I can't credit it accurately as I can't remember where it was from, but it said um, rot doesn't grow where the sun shines, and I think mm. that really stays with me about prisoner support. Of you know, like there is like you said this kind of masking of state violence. Of you know, like I think the British government have perfected this art of statecraft over you know, years and years of repression at home and colonialism abroad. And I think they've mastered the art of giving this impression of the UK being really like quote unquote civilized or whatever. And when actually, yeah, the state violence is, is kind of phenomenal. And I think, yeah, sharing those stories about what's happening to kind of just like, you know, like affect people's opinion of prison because people like the Daily Mail or whatever will continue to publish it as a holiday camp or this, that and that. And, you know, I think the pandemic was interesting because a lot of people felt the experience of having their kind of freedom, like ever so slightly restricted. Mm. You know, it kind of triggered me a bit, like hearing everyone complain about it. And I just thought, God, you wouldn't survive like in a cell. Um, but yeah, I do think like raising that awareness is really important and also just like offering like tangible support to people in prison through prisoner solidarity projects through letter writing um you know we need like a million and one initiatives when people get out to support them to stay out of prison we need to be fighting prison expansion like the british government are in the process of trying to build 18,000 new prison places 
by the mid 2020s and you know I've been involved in a campaign called community action on prison expansion since 2014 like resisting these new mega prisons and lots of communities have been very successful um, unfortunately not everywhere like they are, have they have successfully built prisons in places like Wellingborough and very soon in Leicestershire um, but yeah so I kind of think it's a mix of writing about prison conditions and advocating for prisoners but also yeah trying to trying to stop the beast from getting any bigger and uh, just constantly fearlessly agitating for like a different system um, I definitely had like points of like despair and burnout with all this stuff and I remember talking to a friend and he was saying that Nicole you'll do this work for 80 years and then just you know in two days all the prisons will get destroyed overnight because there'll be some sort of revolution or uprising across different prisons or something you know like um I think yeah supporting that kind of prisoner resistance is also important um yeah, yeah no easy answers I don't think you were talking about herbs that help with resilience and um circulatory getting warmer are there any herbs that you can suggest for trauma and for women who are inside or women who've just been released that you know that we can get our hands on fairly easily because obviously the prison system is absolutely paranoid about what it will let in and what it won't um but what what would you suggest that that people can take because they're, they're just at the moment i just feel there is so much free-floating trauma and anxiety in the world. There's just so much everywhere you go. You just feel mm -hmm. confronted by it in even the smallest interactions. And I think it's probably a result of the pandemic and recession and the, the fear of what the next few months holds for people economically as well is really frightening. But what, what do you suggest, Nicole, that people can practically do inside and outside to help to just nurture and calm themselves a bit? So I think with with people inside, like I could definitely send them a copy of the Prisoner's Herbal. And I mean, most of the plants aren't aren't very strong. Like we in the herbal world, we call them nervines, which is like a plant with an affinity for the nervous system. But like I said at the beginning, like I do think having a relationship with a plant in general can definitely help people feel more calm and grounded. So like whatever plant they have access to, I think is great i mean maybe it's not safe necessarily to ingest but i think even just you know if they're in a prison courtyard being able to like look at plants or you know notice a dandelion or a nettle or a mallow plant or whatever and and connect with that plant um but yeah i think for people on the outside there's definitely obviously like a much wider range um and again it's kind of like what people have near them that's close and accessible to them there's definitely some amazing plants that are like fantastic supports for the nervous system. For example, lemon balm is a very strong aromatic mint and it's like one of the most effective plants at supporting people to go into this parasympathetic state. It has a really fantastic affinity for the digestive system and, you know, a lot of people who've experienced traumatic stress or who are still experiencing it will, will really notice that effect on their guts, you know, maybe constipation or diarrhea or food intolerances and allergies and plants like lemon balm can really like enable people to actually digest their food properly. Um, and then in terms of like stronger things, like a plant that I really worked with a lot, like with my PTSD is called skullcap. 
um, Scotillaria latifolia, which you, you do have to kind of buy, like you can't really harvest it in enough quantity in your garden, um, but it's a hypnotic nervine. So it really moves you into this kind of parasympathetic system state. And it's a real, um, just like a full body relaxant. It's really fantastic for uh, the musculoskeletal system as well for muscle tension. It's incredibly nutritive. And I, yeah, I've had people take that for like six months people that have been complete insomniacs their whole life and then that's enabled them you drink it in the evening to shift into like a better sleep pattern and reduce things like nightmares and just kind of have you know like skullcap helps repair the myelin sheath which is like the fatty layer outside that like wraps around the nerve cells so like yeah that's when you're you know this feeling of like frayed nerves like there's actually mm. like a physiological process where your nerves don't have enough kind of like fat around them or like a strong enough myelin sheath which can make them more hypersensitive so anyway I'm getting too detailed but yeah no it's fascinating it really is because you think about frayed nerves and they actually are frayed nerves mm -hmm. it's really fascinating and this is something you can buy at a health food shop yeah yeah and again like I have this um solidarity apothecary project so I offer um, kind of like free herbal support for people who've left prison um, or are struggling with PTSD because of prison. Um, I have been a, on, on a bit of a, a break from it because I lost one of my best friends, killed himself in the summer in in Eastwood Park. So I've been just kind of like in the depths of hell myself with uh, recovering from that. So I haven't quite opened shop yet, if that makes sense in terms of I was offering a lot of support the last few years and I've kind of had to scale it back a bit while I uh, focus on supporting myself. Um, Tell us a bit about that. I, I know who you're talking about. It was, it was just so tragic. Tell, tell us about that. Cause that was, there was a lot that built up to that and the way that, that he was set up to fail and what actually happened was it was so disgusting. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, it was my best friend Taylor. I met him while I was in prison and then carried on visiting him and supporting him and was his next of kin and tried really hard, like gave everything I had to trying to get him out, had like online campaigns, tried to do all the parole board stuff, legal challenges. And yeah, he just kind of went from being someone who might cut their arms occasionally to more progressively brutal acts of self-harm you know he was in a coma twice after after overdoses he um cut his own throat and that's how he died was he um cut his own throat and basically bled to death in his cell and uh yeah his original tariff was like four years and he ended up doing 14 he was an ipp prisoner yeah. um uh, yeah there's a statement on online at bristol abc dot org forward slash rip taylor and it's got like all about his case he was a trans man but he died in a women's prison um and yeah just horrific transphobia in prison and yeah it just i don't know he's just like horrific and uh yeah but he was taken out on rottle before the parole board wasn't he what tell us what happened there yeah, so he went out in Bristol uh, for his rottle and um, the prison officer who was with him just kind of disappeared and he looked everywhere for her. He couldn't find her. So he called the prison and said, like, hey, I can't find the officer. Came back to the prison and the, the officer, like, denied and said that Taylor absconded and uh, Taylor kind of got into an argument and was like, no, you're a liar. And then he, like, 
kind of like stomped off and pushed over a plant pot and they took it as like uh you know things might escalate and i'm sure you saw in bronzefield you breathe in the wrong direction and prison officers will jump on you yeah violence violence yeah yeah he just got jumped on by a whole group of officers and uh, dragged into a cell um lost all his staff was put on basic and um yeah it was just the kind of cherry on the cake really like he just lost hope of ever getting out like this rattle kind of got pulled away from him and uh yeah it led him to kill himself before the parole board hearing could even happen yeah so this is again like you said the parole board hearings just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back he was meant to have it in january and then it got pushed back to october but they wouldn't give him a date and obviously like he really needed a date to like psychologically cope with all the uncertainty so at this point he killed himself in july and uh yeah that was because he didn't have a date you know and he'd already like not got through the previous parole board hearings because you know they wanted to give him like new hoops to jump through and um yeah he just I don't know like he just didn't yeah he just didn't want to be here anymore and uh but reading his suicide letters they were really like you know saying that he did want to be alive but that he just couldn't cope with prison anymore and uh yeah it was just yeah it was just awful I'm so sorry that happened to you but you gave him uh a lovely send-off. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was a really beautiful funeral. We had a uh, rainbow-coloured coffin and all his songs that he wanted and um, friends and family and comrades and stuff there. So just to wrap it up then, if you could change anything at all, um, obviously in a dream world, we would want abolition and we would want this whole disgusting, appalling, violent system to end. But if you could change anything what would it be in terms of the prison system or yeah said there's like huge areas everywhere but I do think retrospectively abolishing the IPP sentence would dramatically reduce the number of prisoner suicides you know we have thousands of people that are doing really extreme long sentences for minor crimes who led the UK to have one of the highest rates of suicide in the world and um, I do think that in terms of reforms, I think that would make a massive difference to to people in prison and to prisoner families everywhere. Um, it would massively reduce the number of people in prison. And yeah, it would prevent people like Taylor from killing themselves. Yeah, there's a huge campaign at the moment. I know the Justice Committee has recommended that all IPP prisoners are retrospectively sentenced and released because not having a date is actually a form of psychological torture. It's really the worst thing because you don't know how much longer you're going to have to bear this appalling dysfunctional parallel universe that you're living in nicole it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you thank you so much for talking to us today and we'll put links up to solidarity apothecary on our website and on our podcast and thank you and keep on doing the amazing work that you're doing Oh, likewise. Thanks so much for the invitation. And yeah, take care. And this concludes our podcast for today. We oppose all violence against women. And this episode in particular shows that the system requires reform now. If you want to know more about Nicole's work, the links for Solidarity Apothecary can be found in the description. Please follow us and stay in touch via our social media. 
Do subscribe to The View and don't miss our quarterly digital magazine to stay on top of all of the latest news and insights from the people at the front line of justice reform. To support The View, check out the links in the description. To subscribe to our quarterly magazine, donate or volunteer, check out our website www.theviewmag.org.uk. Thank you for listening this week. We are very grateful for Nicole's courage, which she shares so freely and with such compassion.